don't be nervous, Roland. Sure, we might be starting our sixth season, but it's starting in style. But it started with a five. And that would be six. <laughs> now we should petition them to get back the sixth of the beginning of the countdown so we can really celebrate what's your baseline season six. I'm, I'm so confused. You know, change is hard. You know, it's, it's really tough for me to adapt to a new season. <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast, where we demystify enterprise architecture and business process management. We're here to bring best practices and lessons learned from our years to your ears, as well as interviewing friends we've met along the way on our professional journeys. My name is Roland Volt, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Roland. I got to say, I'm really excited. We are starting up our sixth season here with What's Your Baseline, and it's looking like a great one. We've got some super exciting things on the horizon, but we'll let you folks know about that in our trailer preview of the season that you might have seen already or you'll see soon. Uh, How are you feeling, my friend? I'm doing fine. It's uh, a new year. It's a Saturday. Um, There's no snow outside, so that's good. Uh, hey. So it's 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 all good. I'm excited for our season six, uh, even though I get a hunch that the outtake doesn't give me give you the same vibes, but we will see. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm really really curious about today's uh, episode because what we do is we, we try to be a little bit different than in the previous seasons. So we try to tighten up things a little bit. You might have noticed it. We have a shorter uh, intro than we had before, um, and try to be a little bit more on point. And dear listeners, let us know if you like that uh, or if we should go back to the old babbling and cutting out two hours of recording to get to an hour. <laughs> either way, either way, today we're going to talk about um, something that we have spoken about many, many, many moons ago when we were talking about solution architecture, but with a little twist. So we want to talk about BPMN projects and how they fit into that bigger life cycle that we spoke way back when about. And uh, this is acknowledging, even though I don't like it, acknowledging that you have a difference between, how do I say that, business people and IT people yeah. um, and uh, business process management and enterprise architecture. And I'm shuddering a little bit when I say that because I actually mean <laughs> IT architecture, but we want to give it a little twist. So we're going to talk about how a BPM project fits into that lifecycle. And I think the reason why we have to talk about this is is that at our core, we are trying to, to slot in what our profession does, right? The people who work in BPM particularly are supporting projects directly through the, each of the phases. But oftentimes that's, that's not thought about in advance or it's not planned in. These are seen as, as project exercises rather than what they really are, which is process-focused or at least process-influenced exercises. So let's start by defining what we think of as a transformation project that, that could involve business process. Um, anyone will tell you that there are, are, are a few different phases. There's lots of different ways of, of breaking down the phases of a transformation project. The way we see it is we see sort of these, these five, six different phases. Some have sub phases that you're going to be going through as you improve your business at a high level. The first is understanding what you have, understanding what your challenges are. The second is innovating to try and solve those challenges through design and through development. The third is actually transforming your business itself through the automation or change of practices. 
The fourth is rolling out those changes and governing them with your people. The fifth is monitoring those changes for their efficacy. And the sixth being continuously improving after change. That seems like a pretty stock standard project structure. The challenge, though, is that a lot of organizations who have their own BPM groups might not see that. Like you said, they might be seen as, oh, now I have to go in and do my my thing and model processes and doing process mining analysis and, and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go. So they're not part of the, quote-unquote, transformation program. You know, it's yeah. like a little bit like a, like a mercenary attitude, you know? I go there, I do my job, I leave. Good luck, you know? And I think yeah. this is the, the, the key topic of today's episode. How do we bring all these things together to make sure that, A, people who run those transformation programs don't forget the benefit that they can get from people who do BPM, but also that the BPM people don't see it as a, as a mercenary job. But bring yeah. in and, and, and gain responsibility and see the bigger picture that they were working. Yeah, I see a lot of BPM people get like the, oh, yeah, I come in as a process modeler for like mm-hmm. one phase of this thing. And then they kick me out because all I offer are the skills that I have on the computer, which I think is very Yeah, I draw pictures. I draw pretty pictures. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, by the way, I'm not the expert. Right. You're, you're just the minion who holds the pen. And, and draws boxes and, and arrows, which is obviously not good. But let's have a look. Where, where do those transformation things and, and BPM actually intersect? Because, yes, you, you had the different phases of the transformation project, but there's obviously a, uh, an overlap. And at least in my mind, when I look at our little cheat sheet, it almost looks as if they are <laughs> identical, you know. And let's get started, Jane, with the first one, you know. The, the first bullet that we see here is, uh, the process planning and strategy, you know, well, and that obviously leads to what you said before, to the understand phase, you know, what are the challenges yes. and all that stuff. But d- d- talk a little bit about what do you mean by that? Well, when you think about the under understand, what you're doing is you're you're doing a little bit of research into your own organization. So we want to we want to take a look into how we do things and what we should be doing. So identifying our drivers, our identifying our, our expectations, formulating our mission and vision, being able to consider our consider best practices, understand the best practices in the field. And those are all things that, that touch on BPM and what process experts or architecture experts might come in and be able to provide. So when you're, pro, when you're looking at doing process planning, process strategy, you're looking at the industry best practices that are often contained within processes and approaches. You're detecting and understanding your industry risks and being able to understand how those risks impact your business operations. Well, that comes from a BPM perspective as well. If you have drivers, those drivers and those needs are jobs to be done. Those are also part of a BPM expert's purview. And so now we take a look at a BPM perspective on this research. You're actually doing research into process and those processes can help drive the strategy that will ultimately lead to your business outcome. I would say it in different words, um, but we're very close aligned here, JM, as always. Um, (laughs) What I see in reality is business folks make up stuff. Right. They look at they, they look at an analysis, a market analysis, or they look at the sales numbers and, and say, oh, 
we need to get better here. Yeah. Right. And and then they say, uh, work harder. Right. Do do more with less people. Right. Which is obviously not good. And one of the reasons why that is is because they do not have an understanding of where their organization is. Right. Right. It's, some people might see this as the ivory tower. You know, they're too far away from reality. But most likely, it's it's a lack of knowledge. It, it, I don't blame anyone. Right. It's a systematic problem in organizations. So I think what you need to articulate strategies and articulate the objectives is you need to have, like you rightfully said, an understanding of where you are. Because only if you know where you are, you can define the delta to where you want to be and then break Absolutely. it down into the necessary steps. The role that I typically see then, that, that is why I was shuddering before, is actually <laughs> an enterprise <laughs> architect. Right, yeah. because that is the guy in in the TOGAF sense, right? Who should have the overview of um, business, org, risk, processes, applications, data, cables and boxes, and, and all that type of stuff. So you need somebody who shepherds it, right? And that yeah. could be, in my mind, uh, if you don't want to say enterprise architect, a role called solution architect. You know, yeah, he who brings things together. And that person should have a seat at the table when you try to define your strategy, because that is the reality check that you bring in. Like, uh, hey, JM, that's a great idea that you want to dethrone Amazon Web Services in the cloud. And it's so cute that you have that little computer under your desk. I think you need to do a little <laughs> bit more than, than just having your old 486 uh, running uh, with, a, with a big internet line. Yeah, I agree. And also remember that your BPM or, or your enterprise architects also have a really good understanding of your existing competencies. So what are what are our business processes? What is our architecture? How many times have we walked into a project where they're in the first phase of understand and strategize and they're talking about capabilities that already exist or things they've already tried and that have not worked for them or have underperformed? Your enterprise architect is going to know that. So we, we've spoken about that in the past, of course, right? The, the key thing is capabilities. Yeah. I, I would be happy, and I have to see that. Well, I've seen that once or twice in my 200 years that I do this stuff, <laughs> um, where people actually have a capability model and yeah. try to rationalize uh, to say, hey, this is what we're doing, and, and we're doing it good, bad, mediocre, whatever, right? And yeah. then say... Oh, yeah, to accomplish this business goal, we need to improve this business capability. And then go and talk about how do we do this? You know, yeah. what are the transition states? What are the, the, the steps in between? What is the, the different business capability configuration? You know, one region might need something different than another, whatever, all that, that architecture googly-gook. I would love to have this. Most organizations I work with, don't have this. They're singularly focused. The boss says, we need to sell more. Now we need to make it happen. Yeah. That doesn't actually work <laughs> if you've been uh, following along here. And particularly when it doesn't work when you're looking to transform things. Because if, if you simply say, do it better or do it harder, or however you want to phrase that, you're not actually changing the root cause of the problem, which is not, and this is something that I, I say a lot, I choose to believe that people are trying their best to do a good job and that they are being prevented from doing that job and achieving the business outcomes by structural problems in the organization. 
And I choose to believe that our job as business architects and enterprise architects are to remove those structural problems or to create better processes or to enable the people better to achieve the desired outcome. That's flat out what, what I want to do. Yeah. And I think that that leads into our next section, which is about, about the innovation. So how do we change things? We talk about designing and developing new new processes and new architecture, new new automation. Well, that takes a couple of phases in business process world as well, mm-hmm. beside project world. The first being analyzing your business processes. So Roland, talk to me about how you see the analysis part of this. So first of all, before I get started, and we won't talk about this in depth in this uh, episode here because we're focusing on BPM. There are parallel activities. So yeah. you need to understand your business architecture that's relevant to your problem, to your objective. But there will be uh, application analysis. There will be data model creation, all that wonderful stuff that other architects do that happen in parallel because the solution architect needs to bring that together. Yeah. Speaking of which, now narrowing our focus and looking at at process. Sure. Um, when we look at, at analysis of business processes, typically I see organizations who don't have anything. Yeah. Or they have a Visio that was created because risk people were asking for it to show regulatory compliance or whatever reason it is. Or somebody drew a napkin, right? And yeah. says, this, this is how it should go, right? This is um, a first step, right? I don't want to belittle that. It's better than nothing, right? <laughs> to be quite honest, better than nothing. But uh, I think where you need to be at that point in time is still on a somewhat higher level, not in the nuts and bolts details, of a a super detailed BPMN diagram, but at least on a higher level, you need to understand, okay, this is how my end-to-end process goes, right? And you might recall, JM, when we were talking about business architecture in episode 42, hint, hint, listen to it. Um, We are talking about functional decomposition of processes and end-to-end processes. So typically in transformations, you look at end-to-ends. Right? Yeah. So you need to have an understanding of that end-to-end because that is where you do the improvement. That is where you're going to do the measurement. And that end-to-end also gives you the ability to understand your objectives and, and success factors. What's what's oh, yeah. critical to this process yeah. at a high level. So before you get into should X work a certain way, you ask does X do what I want it to do before we ask how does it work? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's where, where I tried to remember when we had the process analysis, process mining analysis episode yeah. a couple of weeks ago, when I tried to be cute and and uh, defined the five levers of uh, that you have within a process. And they all start with a C. So I hope I get them together. Capacity, how much do you get through it? Course of time, how fast are you? Uh, customer experience, how good is this from a from a uh, experience? Cost and uh, conformance. Right. So look at those levers because they determine your your KPIs at some point in time. You might have a six, a seventh, and eighth, but it's what does a good process look like? Right. And yeah. that determines your measurement afterwards. But so you asked me about the analysis of, of business Please, processes. Yes. Right. So I think there's there's two ways of doing it. And we've already spoken about this. One is the traditional way, as it has been done for years and years and years. Right. Bring people to the table put a a roll of butcher block on the wall, put stickies on it, try to figure out what it is. And and we spoke about that, that this has limitations because people just tell you what people want to tell you. Um, Or you do uh, mining, which also has limitations because you need to have data from systems. So I'm pretty sure you have a mix of it. 
right? As we said in the process mining analysis episode, you need people to set the context and do the interpretation of uh, what you see in in uh, your discovered processes. Mm-hmm. Either way, at the end of that exercise, you should have a discovered process. Yes. Right. D- independent of the the fidelity, right? So when you think about details, but also do you really need to understand all 245 variants of your process? <laughs> or is it nah. that you get with mining? Or is it more that you see the pattern? You know, you look at the, whatever, first five or first 10, or you look at the 80% of your cases, wh- whatever, where you cut your your uh, uh, border, right? Look at this and get an understanding and a feeling for how that process goes. Yeah, the pattern is a really important thing because I think that's a, that's a very human thing as well to see the data and understand intuitively what the, what the motions are, what people mm-hmm. are going through. Data can often be confusing. Um, the more information you get, the more you have to simultaneously process as a person looking at this. But being able to see these trends and patterns, it's this more common motion is going to give you a sense of what's actually happening with people or, or the decisions they're making. We talked about in a previous episode, you're trying to improve little decisions along the way yeah. and being able to sort of get in people's minds using process mining, but also business knowledge is really powerful for that. Yeah, what you get as an outcome of this um that I just that, that you and I said the last five minutes is the what, right? Yes. So you look at it. It's it's the big mess. It's the big pile of whatever, right? I think the other outcomes that you should have out of that exercise of your analysis of your process is figuring out the why. Rationalize right. why do you do it in the first place? Because maybe the solution is to scrap that whole process completely. Sure. Right. So then once you have the why and who's affected and uh, which role shall that process play going forward and all that stuff, then you go to the third part, which is defining the performance. So what are the KPIs Mm -hmm. that you want to measure? Is it really that you want to measure, according to my five levers of a process, just the capacity? How many widgets can I push through that process in a given time? Yeah. Or, Or is there something else? Or is it a combination of those? Right. But at the end of the day, what you want is you want to define a business outcome. I will be Mm -hmm. able to do my business better. And that is a little bit more than just process. No, that that, that involves a lot of other things. It involves even taking a look at customer effect, so channels, uh, Mm -hmm. touch points the outcomes that you're that you're getting, giving to your customers and the feedback that they've rec- you receive from them. There's lots of things that this this comes into play, but I wanted to go to the, the sort of what you do with it, which is the next piece of our puzzle and our life cycle, which is the develop new processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's what we want to do is, is create a, a plan for value creation. How are we going to achieve our goals with a better way of doing things? What does it mean from our architecture? What does it mean from our processes? What does it mean from our people? How does it impact our roadmap and go-to-market plans? How do I build it with our with our existing capabilities? Or how do I have to propose new capabilities and architecture that might have a cost associated with it? What's the return on investment? How does that look from a, we talked about this in the value proposition uh, episode. How does this look from a value proposition perspective? Um, and what does that imply change-wise, to our people, processes, and technology. Yeah. I, I think this is one thing that, at least here in America, people like to forget because people have no patience anymore. No, they want to just future state. <laughs> they just, no, they just, they just want to say, I hate what we're doing today. Give me an app for the, for the better world, right? So yeah. that they miss those, those steps in between. But 
I think it's important that you have a design phase. Yeah, right? absolutely. And and you obviously, and I'm referring to whatever Michael Schenk or or uh, Adam Egger that we spoke about last season. You know, when they come with design thinking or James Toomey, you know, design thinking and all that stuff. Go wide, go small, narrow it down. You know, yep. but at the end of the day, you need, and we will talk about that in part two. You need certain artifacts. And yes. One of them is the solution architecture. You need to bring things to paper. And that could be a process diagram, that could future state, plural, that could mm -hmm. be uh, application landscapes, plural, mm -hmm. you know, going for data model changes and, and all that stuff. So you need a solution architecture. And I think this is something that people forget because they're singularly focused and they just want to fix that one problem and don't care, you know, the mercenary aspect of it. And I think a solution architect and everyone who's involved in creating those designs should um, have a look at this. And then you have something to discuss. You know, you can socialize yeah. it with your stakeholders. You get approval and all that stuff. But again, it's not just the artifacts. It's also how do we measure? Mm -hmm. Why do we do this? You know, the justifications, because you will need that later in your communication and people stuff, you know, when you want to convince <laughs> guys to do something different. Well, and I think this this is the idea. We're, we're developing something better and we're in, involving the people who know how this works and people who can come up with novel ideas. We are It's, it's part of the phase that we call, we're calling innovate here, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to build a better way of doing things and we are creating based off of our current state, based off of our understanding of the business and our strategy alignment, we are creating a future state that will achieve our goals that will be realized in process architecture yeah. and in business, archi business architecture, in IT architecture, in, in organizational structures, in all the components of the business that will execute on this, yeah. which leads us to actually doing something about this. And so one, one of those big things is going to be actually transforming, executing on our transformation, which is the next phase here, which involves, again, BPM. Right, we talked about this, this this transform in the in the phases of a transformation project, but process and architecture are going to be one of the core components you are transforming. And to do that, we need to apply our understanding of the measures. We need to apply our understanding of the current state. We need to apply our understanding of the organization, and we need to target those transformations where they're going to make the difference. And so that's taking our future state processes and turning them into automations. So with with systems that are going to implement this differently. It's taking those and turning them into collateral that will affect the behaviors of the people. And it's it's taking the organization and reorienting the structures to be able to deliver on our future state promises. But just to, to uh, play the spoiler here, uh, implementation does not necessarily mean system implementation or system change. No, no, you're right. If you go, if you go and you fire half of your X department, Right, you did a transformation. Right, you shifted workload to others. Things will drop and all that stuff. So if you do organizational changes, that's also included in the in the implementation. Um, so it's it's more than this, right? And processes are affected of that. But the other part of of this implementation phase is not only doing the change, mm -hmm. and we're going to talk with. We spoke with Casper about change management way back when, right? Yep. Um, but it's also obviously everything we need for rollout, right? Yeah. For communication, for yep. enablement, all these type of things. Because you're not done with your implementation when the development is done. 
right? No, that you, is where it just starts. So think about after go live support and all those type of things, you know, the, the hot phase when the new stuff comes in and, and the, the problems pop up because you haven't done a proper solution architecture and you missed some things and then you have the quick fixes and all that wonderful stuff that, that annoys people most likely very much. Well, Roland, you'll have to say that um, the, it doesn't matter what, whatever you put on the wall. If the person behind the keyboard doesn't want to do it, it won't get it yeah. done. This is a good example of where that problem can be proactively addressed by I making mean, people feel like they're bought in. And, you know, once again, we, we keep harping on these BPM folks, but they are very close to your business. They're business experts. They understand the business. They also have deep connections with stakeholders. So as you look to execute and implement, you're leveraging the, the relationships, you're leveraging the network of influence of your BPM practice to ensure that people are well-informed, that they are enabled, that they feel empowered, and that they ultimately desire to execute on the processes and architecture changes as designed. Yeah, but I, I want to be the, the, the time watcher here. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> We spoke about process planning and strategy. We spoke about analysis of your business. We spoke about design and, and modeling and innovation, the implementation. So now we're at a stage where we've we've rolled it out. We've we've ironed out the kinks, right? Yep. From this, what's next, Jam? Well, now we we want to move into the, a couple of other motions. The first is we want to move into a motion of monitoring and controlling. So we, mm -hmm. that that's going to be that's going to have some element of governance to it. So making sure people are actually executing on the processes as designed, and that the that the outcomes, our KPIs, and the measures we defined early on are actually being measured, and our values are being met. And that that is that's the first the, an important phase, and the second is being able to understand how we're going to respond to negative or positive stimulus we get back from our measurement. So how are we going to refine our processes? How are we going to optimize and improve based off of our monitoring and controlling? I see that typically as two separate phases. You know, the yeah. one is as if you go to your doctor and, and he listens to your heartbeat and sees if your knees work and, and all that type of stuff. But I also see organizations who then don't do anything with that. Right. right. They, they, they build dashboards, you know, they have yeah. the BI tools and they have the big monitor walls to see how much they sell and, and all that type of stuff. But I think it's an, a conscious step to say, oh, that's great. Uh, we, we implemented that. We, we got an outcome. It's better than before. And then they stop. They don't think, yeah. like, could it be better? What is the next thing? Right. Because they just move on. Well, that's why I, I said uh, that they're sort of the same thing. I squish the three of them together because I want the three of them to happen as part of the same motion, governance, yeah. optimization, and improvement. I, I, I feel like that if we say it's one thing, then people who are in charge of it are forced to consider all those three things when they're doing the task. Yeah, I, I appreciate your... your um... <laughs> Um, intent here but the reality is different because for the improvement you would need two things you would if you go continuous improvement you would need somebody who understands this that this is important yep. but even if you say hey let's just do a, a next iteration on this process well you're going to start new you have to have yeah. a business case why should you do this and whatnot uh, was the last project a success and, and all those things right yeah and i appreciate that you want to put it together 
I don't think <laughs> I don't think that organizations in general, and there might be outliers. And if you're one of those organizations, please reach out to us. Yeah, that there might be outliers, but most of them see this as singular events. Oh yeah, yeah, I did my project. I'm done. Move on. You know, That's it's true. business as usual. Which is why stewardship and sustainment are such important parts of things. I feel like the the one of the other things that's the first thing to forget is project closeout. People are like, oh yeah, the project closeout. That's when it ends. Well, have a great day, everyone. But project closeout has a lot of implications as in how do you sustain the project changes? How do you continuously communicate them? How do you check back on them? How do you have somebody who can provide the next information to the next iteration of the, the project? Like this part of the of for me is huge and is often overlooked in organizations, particularly ones that want to just wash their hands of transformation the minute the project timeline has elapsed. Yep. And with that, we're switching up things here. Yeah. Um, I like to ask a couple of questions, dear listeners. Oh. You know? um, yeah, JM, you're, you're unemployed. Um, so, <laughs> dear listeners, we're going to take a quick break, right? And we always, and some things don't change. Jeremy still provides the awesome music that we have here. Yes, so while you're listening to it, do me a favor. Think about how you approach your projects. Is it a iterative thing? Is it a one-time thing? Do you think about continuous improvement, all those things? And where does your process efforts play into those plans, right? And how, if you intertwine those things, will you make your transformations more successful? And with that, we'll leave you alone for a few seconds, and we're going to see each other in the next segment, How. back oh my goodness i love listening to music in between the talking it helps reset my brain and get me ready for the next piece of our conversation today we're going to focus a little more beyond just the life cycle on other things we're going to need along the way in our journey and for us in this conversation i think we're going to start with other considerations that you might need to take into account as you're going through the phases of planning and strategy, analysis, design, implementation, monitor, controlling, refinement, those sorts of things. The first one is organization. So Roland, I, I know we talk about people a lot, but when you were taking a look at a project or a, a transformation project that is, is spurred or supported by, by process and architecture professionals, tell me about the organization that's, that's involved in this. Yeah, you need one. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, uh -huh. I, I think this is so. In this section, we're going to talk about all those different artifacts that you might have to scrap together and, yeah. br and bring together. So, the, the org chart is obviously an interesting one. Yeah. Right? Because there is a disconnect in, in a lot of organizations between the processes and the formal org chart, right? People do more than they're supposed to do. You know, they're, they're, they're fixing the little things that, that make the process run and all that type of stuff. So there needs to be some form of, of rationalization to figure out, okay, hey, we have that org chart and we have those jobs in or positions in, in those org charts. Uh, and, and then 
who's actually doing this? Because that also has an impact on future state IT permissions and, and all that wonderful thing, right? Yeah, we talk about that as roles and or role allocation and position. It's something that I, I, I talk about with a lot of clients is the fact that they think about the way that the organization breaks down and its capabilities and, and, its, and its operations as titles. But that's not yeah. real. That's not how it actually works day to day. Instead, it's all about role, who's actually doing the tasks, and then allocating those to understand what positions can or should fill those roles. As you said, a lot of people cover for each other. They mm -hmm. fill each other's roles despite not being in that position. And being able to make an alignment of that come to life makes you better able to execute on the processes you're trying to design for a future state you want to see. Yes, and that is that is we haven't spoken explicitly in in when we were talking about the the uh, as is phase before. This is one thing that the process person typically does, you know, the business architect to say, okay, hey, how far are we off? How far yeah. are we aligned uh, between our jobs, our positions to the actual process roles? And then we could go down the the path to say, oh yeah, we have a position called project manager, and uh, he does project management. So the role is project manager in our SAP system. How do I rationalize <laughs> this? You know, I don't want to go down that pathways. But you should come up, uh, obviously, with with uh, individual words for this. Right? Yeah, and and so that there's no ambiguity on this. But that's one thing. Oh yeah, that the process person does. There's obviously other friends being involved in our solution. Yes, uh, one of them are obviously our our IT friends. So what what do they typically do, JM? In yeah. this understanding phase. Well, I mean, when you're looking at understanding your application landscape, you bring those IT folks together. And that's going to be the modules of your platforms. They're the modules and their technical capabilities, um, the different applications and how they interact with each other, the data model underlying it, including things like data sensitivity. So if there's any concerns with that and the interfaces that, that exist and the dependencies of applications on each other and on technologies underneath it. Particularly when you're looking to rationalize as part of a, an improvement project, uh, you want to understand how that's going to affect the rest of your architecture and landscape. Your project is not on an island. If it's on, I mean, that would be, <laughs> in some cases, ideal because it'd be way easier to execute on. But the reality is, is your IT folks know the, the interconnected web in which you live and what's going to happen when you change certain components of that. And I think that's important for for you to bring into the onto the table um, and into the conversation when you're looking to to plan and also also when you're looking to eventually implement. That is true, JM. Obviously, you need to think about all those things, and, and we will talk about different roles uh, when you follow Togaf. Uh, oh yeah, who's, who's doing that? So uh, the, the term IT friends was more wider than just application <laughs> architects. There's another thing that that you might want to look at closer to the heart of the, the business analysts or the business architects is obviously, well, have a look at your process definitions and, and how you capture those and, and what your standards are, right? Yeah, we had that Michael Shank episode where he talked yeah. about process inventory. My goodness, that's a great starting point. That's why we go over this topic very, very quickly, right? Because yes, <laughs> you should have one. You should have one. You need to understand the, the process dependencies, the handovers. You need to understand... Um, where things are located and where you can find things. And obviously a process inventory is, is the right place to look at, you know, your repository. Uh, this should also not include only the processes, but also your business capabilities, as we discussed it with Michael. And mm -hmm. 
uh, you should also have certain standards. They are obviously not important for your implementation, quote unquote. No, but they're more important for reusability after you went live. And if you choose not to do continuous improvement, well, that's a hard thing, you know, figuring out stuff from five years ago and is it still current and all these type of things. But yeah. I mentioned another thing, JM, um, and I saw you nodding on, on the camera, which is uh, talk a little bit about cross-functional alignment when in the context yeah. of process. Well, cross-functional alignment, you know, you think about processes are not in a, in a, in a vacuum. They're attached to an end-to-end. Um, and processes is part of the things you're going to need to, to consider in this project is your interfaces, your handoffs from one process to another, your dependencies, not just in an IT perspective, but your process dependencies. If you're changing a shared service, you're going to have to understand that impact to other services that are running that require that to be working the way it used to. So I often think of it as, uh, as drawing out SIPOX and seeing what the supplier, the input the output and the consumer or customer are for every given process, that P in your SIPOC, S-I-P-O-C, and being able to see those in any of the affected processes through transformation will give you a much clearer indication of what you're going to need to communicate to your various partners as part of the work that you're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, I typically don't do SIPOCs, but I agree on that you need to, to think about those topics. I think it's uh, very important when you think about your repository and you have your process in there, you find a gazillion of end events and handovers to other processes and whatnot that you start scratching your head about. Why do we have this thing again? You know, why, why do we yeah. have to deliver this stuff? So I think it's more important um, that you note those thinkings behind those uh, process passes and all that stuff so that you at a later point in time can rationalize why you did what you did. But sidebox yeah. are a good way of doing it. Again, uh, I think it's like a personal preference. Well, it's just a shorthand that is very useful, for, at least from my perspective, to always ask the right questions of everything I'm looking at. Okay, I've got mm -hmm. my P. What's my SIOC that I need to just think about every time? And when I when I install that as a practice in the in the BPM uh, team that is working on a project, that's a motion that they can repeat over and over again without having to like think about it every time. But Roland, yep. I, want, I wanted to go to the next one because this is something that I, I know you have a lot of experience navigating, which is responsibility and ownership. Talk to me about ownership as an idea in this. Yeah, so this is a hard, hard break for those of you who listen, right? We, we, were spoke, <laughs> we were speaking about artifacts until now. Now we're talking about people. Yeah. Right? So I think the, the, the big challenge is always who's supposed to do what. Right? Mm -hmm. Not as a process participant, but in the transformation project, right? Or in your governance uh, setup, if you will, right? So I think there's a there's a couple of roles that I like to highlight, and I don't say that there is an exclusivity in in that list. Uh, one of that is is obviously the process owner. Yeah, right? somebody needs to be responsible for this. Uh, one throw to choke, as one of my bosses <laughs> way back when said, you know, um, and and the task of that. A person that role is obviously to steward the process to do all that uh interface communication and, and all those things that we just spoke about right uh that's the person who's responsible for the results of the process yeah right do we create x widgets in a given point in time or not right and who's responsible for making that process better yeah i think of ownership and stewardship 
as slightly different things. Um, I think of ownership as kind of what you're describing, but stewardship is the sustainment part of things. So for instance, if you, you have an order to cash process, you might have an owner that's responsible for ensuring that the KPIs are met in the transformation of order to cash, but that steward is going to make sure that process is kept up to date and continuously communicated to its various partners as the organization changes around it. Because oh, a level. Yeah. You, you, you might be the S to somebody else's you know, process, but you also are the C. You're the consumer of someone else's process. And so yeah. those as things change around, you need a steward who's going to continuously keep that up to date. We think about it as ever keeping process and process models evergreen, and a steward goes a long way to doing that. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to th I think the keyword is evergreen. You need to yeah. have somebody who cares, right? Is somebody because, who cares. Because if you don't, if you don't care, you can save the money for your repository. It's just waste yeah. of money. Do a napkin. Right. So I'm dead serious, by the way. Right. If you're not willing to invest in this um, time, effort, yeah. then just don't get started with it. You know, just just pray and hope for the best. But if you do, then make this one of your your big things to say, okay, how do I make this thing evergreen? And and hint hint, we spoke with Show Up about this last season. You know, it's not the diagram. No. It's what do you put in the diagram in addition to the boxes and arrows, you know, mm -hmm. so that it becomes a, a uh, decision-making source, if you will. You know, he, he called it operational intelligence, you know, and, and feed it with that. So it's more than just the diagram. And I think this is another shift from traditional BPM that we've seen before. And, and I mentioned that elsewhere. I think the, the BPM equals process modeling attitude is dead. Yeah. Period. It is. It, it needs to be more, right? Which could be another episode. So I don't want to go down this <laughs> path now. But I, just think about this, right? Again, if you don't plan to keep it evergreen and use it, don't even get started. There's better ways to do it. Hope and pray, right? And you need to power it up, right? The yeah. idea is you're also powering this with executive alignment. That's the next piece: sponsorship and executive alignment. Yeah, like you, you need to understand. This is another piece you should have as part of this: is what are your strategic pillars as an organization, so I can align those strategic pillars to my transformation or BPM initiatives, and and talk about the implications of the work that we're doing in process transformation to each of those pillars, as well as understand the stakeholders who are involved at, a, at an executive level and a map of those stakeholders. We talked about stakeholder maps before and a clear line of sponsorship. So who is putting their name and it consequently their organizational power and influence behind process as an, a, a strategic component of the transformation? And who, and maybe the same person, is accountable for the transformation outcomes in your executive alignment structure? Yeah, but that is... That is um... A disconnect that I see between the BPM organizations, comma mercenary style, yeah. and and a true, whatever interdisciplinary uh, transformation team, yeah. Right? Because if you just say, "Oh yeah, great, I'm done," you know, then then you don't care. I think the BPM organizations, the practitioners there, need to understand they're part of that team. They're not just a supplier. They're no, part no. of that team. And they are also responsible for the good outcome of it. So yeah, mental shift. Yeah. Speaking of mental shifts, another hard shift. So we spoke about artifacts. <laughs> we spoke about roles. JM, let's talk a little bit about performance. So how do you 
um, look at the performance of the process that you will implement in your transformation. Absolutely. Well, first you need to think about it and understand what measures you're going to be looking at, what dimensions you're going to be building around. So we talked about this a little bit before, but the idea is what are quantifiable characteristics that matter to you, your KPIs, and what are filterable characteristics that allow you to segment those KPIs based off of different conditions. So perhaps different types of regionality. So different regions might have different KPIs this this matrix or different types of orders, different types of customers, different mm. these 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 different filterable characteristics. You're measuring them and you're you're setting targets. So you're establishing norms and you're understanding your performance against those norms. Some of the sometimes those norms are your own business performance. Sometimes that they are industry benchmarks. And you're figuring out where you're going to measure those things. So what are the points we're going to measure? So where where are we actually putting a little temperature thermometer into our process execution, and when are we going to measure this? So what are our measurement time windows? Is it continuous? Are we looking at pre and post transformation? How frequently are we going to be going to measure, measure this? What is our frequency of decision we can use? What are we going to do about these? And so measures and dimensions for evaluation is really important. And I'd like to stress this very, very much because it, it easily gets forgotten. Um, this is another ownership topic. Yeah. Typically, this is something that also the business analyst does. True. Right? Even though they might not see that as their uh, order, right? their task in there. Because, hey, I got those bigwigs who, who gave the, the order for that transformation project. They should think about this. No. Right? You, you as the solution architect, the person who's responsible for the whole thing, or you as the business architect who designs the future state, right? you should think about this. And it needs to be a requirement that you put into your implementation. Yeah. Right? If you just say, oh, this is the new process, but you forgot to measure, then again, you didn't do your job, right? And oh, yeah. most people do. Most people do. Hey, I worked in the in the 90s and 2000s. You know, we were done with creating a diagram. Yep. Right? I, I think that that has to change. If and particularly with, with, with process mining is a really good way of doing that because process mining has that loop back for checking you know, they, it's you know, it's it's the new BI for process focused initiatives, right? Uh, do we really want like to go down that path? You know, <laughs> it, it definitely process mining tools have the the capability of doing this. What I see, and when I look at the the vendor communication, they pitch it in a way of we help you find your new improvement opportunity. I barely sure. see vendors who say, oh, by the way, use that technology for continuous monitoring of your process performance. Oh, and by the way, while you're doing this, you'll find improvement <laughs> stuff, right? Ah. You know, what's the story that you tell as a digital twin? But digital twins are different, different thing. I don't want to go down that path. Let's talk about awareness and buy-in from community because one of the things that I, I really want to stress for folks who are working on BPM focus initiatives and just in general transformation projects is that a communication strategy and plan is absolutely essential. Roland, you've done a lot of this, right? It's two things. Yeah, it, it's it's the people aspect. So again, summary. Yeah. Uh, artifacts, um, roles and responsibilities, measures and, and performance. And now we're talking about the people stuff, right? In that, I typically see two areas. And I know I'm way too short, but we have longer change management or change management um, episodes about this. But it goes basically back to... How do I communicate the change? How do I yeah. get the buy-in of the people? Because 
people in front of the screen, if they don't want to do it, they won't do it, right? Do so it. you need to bring them over. And the two ways to do this is having a communications program, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that in a sec, and having an enablement program and care about the people. Yeah. So when I look at the at the communications part of it, uh, it's the same thought, you know, figure out where you want to be and how you measure it, right? Mm -hmm. And do the same thing for your communication, right? Mm -hmm. What are the, the things what, that your people believe today? What do you want them to believe in the future, right? So pick them up where they are. And for that, I highly, highly recommend, even though it seems outdated and all that stuff, Bring these things to paper. Create a communication strategy document that talks about what are the main messages, what are the main target groups for your communication, how do you create a feedback loop, how do you measure all that type of thing, right? So that everybody buys into it and say, yeah, that's exactly where we want the organization to be. Put this in the package with your solution architecture. Right? We want the process to run like this. We want to change the IT architecture like this. We want to change the data like this. Oh, this is how we want to change the people. Right? Yeah. That also has an impact then on HR issues, right? When you start, always the fun part, uh -huh. when you start working on different job profiles and uh, whatever, you have to talk to deal with HR and unions and all those wonderful things, but I don't want to go in there. But that needs to be part of your communication plan, your org change management strategy, sorry, strategy. And then you de develop a plan, right? Yeah. What are the measures that I that I roll out to whom at what point in time? Do I start with a with a newsletter or with an announcement from Mr. Bigwig who says, oh, this is so important in, in all these type of things, right? Your your sponsors. And yeah. then you do you do your your activities. You, you know, you do promotions. You, you do newsletters, you do a roadshow or whatever you have. Listen to the org change management episode that we had with Jehan or the one that you and I spoke about in season two, I guess, um, for some more examples. Exactly. What you want to do is you want to also uh, capture the feedback, which is the continuous improvement loop, right, on this thing. And obviously, I think the main thing is um, don't think about people as human resources like a machine as a resource. What you want is you want to demonstrate that you care. Yeah. Even if the the transformation means you have to fire people, right? right. It's do that with dignity. Be yeah. honest. Be authentic. You know, I think this is the thing that, that you should care about when we're talking about uh, communication, when we talk about people. But there's another side of people, JM, yeah. that, that you want to talk about. Well, the, other, the, the last thing I wanted to say about what you were talking about is we got to short on process empathy, but this is transformation empathy, right? You want to you want to show to people that you thought about them when transforming the process. And even once again, even if there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a change in the organization, there's going to be a reduction in headcount, there's going to be new tasks and allocations that you still thought about people and that you have people and culture support for everything you do. You're creating a new organizational culture. It's not just people in new positions. It's a new way of working and that you're there to support and grow that, which ties into people development and enablement. So understanding your key competencies for the process enabled people, what processes are you going to have to execute? What do you need to know how to do to be able to execute on those? And understanding the deltas. So what, what are our current roles? What are the expectations and capabilities or competencies of those roles? What are we going to have to have? And let's tailor a learning plan. 
and be careful about those learning plans. We talk about the so people development enablement. We're only choosing to teach people the things we, that they absolutely need to know. And we're choosing to, to, to tailor and also communicate that we are tailoring that to say, we're not here to waste your time. We just want, we want you to get trained up on the new systems, the new processes, so that you can deliver on your targets and be, feel successful in your role. And we want to guide them, not just through training itself, but also through coaching and handholding, through operating in their new way, and then give them asynchronous access to systems that are available for them to answer questions or get support, all the things they're going to need. Because the last thing you want to do is have the end of your project, have people feeling confused and unsupported. They just won't know what to do and won't do it anyways. I agree. I agree. I think I'd like to reiterate on this. You know, sure. in many, many projects that I worked on, it was like, okay, how many trainings did we do? Oh, yeah. we did 250 trainings. We're done. Right. They didn't care about, did the people actually learn something? They didn't look at, did the people actually perform better six months down the road? But one of the key aspects is, what is that asynchronous support that you have? Yeah. So what I would, what I would recommend is start thinking in systems, right? Systems mm. not in the sense of IT system, but in processes, procedures, but also IT systems. So think about, do you need something like a forum, right? Do you need Slack sure. channels? Yeah. You know, uh, how can people reach out to you if they have questions? Do you do open office hours, right? Every Monday, even though the project is a long time over, you still have JM sitting on his chair because he's bored at 9.30 and, <laughs> and is ready to answer questions about this, right? Yeah. So think about the systems that you build, the organization systems that you build to support people. Because what will happen is once you went live with your process, a year down the road, people leave, new people come. Those new people don't know anything. They need to be enabled as well, right? And what is a good source? Well, it's the digital paper trail that you have in your forums, in your channels, in your whatever, right? And having somebody to talk with. Yeah, or, and this is where things get sketchy maybe, is you can train a large language model on whether or not people can answer using Gen AI questions that they have about your processes and about the best practices you expose and those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, not... I, I've seen, I've seen that happen. I, I, I mean, I, I've worked with people who specifically do that. Ask me like, how do I improve this particular process? Well, here are the things you should look for. And like the Gen AI goes through that. Yeah. Adam will not like it. I'm yeah. not hundred percent convinced. I, I mean, it's it's a potential self-service tool for the future. I, I Once again, I'm not 100% convinced, but I just want to say I'm seeing this being used as an asynchronous self-service support tool because the experts aren't always available. And if you can get a digital expert through Gen AI, maybe that's good. So on that happy note, on that happy note, I like to switch horses, <laughs> right? And I want to want to talk more. We spoke about what are considerations that you should have, you know, yep. artifacts, people um performance um people again <laughs> if you will right yep. roles um last thing to close out this episode because we're talking way too long too much um let's talk about the people that you would need to bring to the party and yes. also what could be on a very very high level like two minutes what could be deliverables that you could expect jam sure. talk to me about this also, I'll, I'll talk about team rule and you talk about deliverables. How about that? Sounds so, good. So the, the, when I see uh, the people we're looking to bring in as part of a transformation project, but focus on 
BPM or EA, um, the, the sort of the process, our purview. I think about making sure that you're connected in with project management, a process leadership. So somebody who is in, who is responsible for pro, specifically responsible for the process element of things, solution architect or architects, process modelers or business architects. Folks are going to create the, the collateral and improve that collateral and understand it, be able to communicate it out. Data scientists, data scientists, data architects, particularly when you're looking at process mining projects or projects that are going to involve machine learning or AI to help you improve. QA analysts, that's an important piece along, along the development lifecycle. Um, improvement specialists, specifically, um, people who might be trained in disciplines like Six Sigma. Folks who come from the risk or regulatory compliance background, bringing those people in to help advise on the obligations you may have or risks and how the mitigation techniques will help to reduce the exposure. IT folks, your architects, your developments, your developers, your tool specialists, bring those in to the table as part of this BPM project. Business partners. Um, this is a concept that I've seen in a few organizations. The folks who manage interlocks between disconnected teams who help steward relationships between executive management leadership and projects or process components of projects. Who I've seen business and IT partners who help to ensure that the our business analysts and IT analysts or enterprise architects have a forum for communication. People who are next, people who are specialists in training and enablement. So people who can help develop and, and execute on training plans. And lastly, people who are specialists in marketing, internal marketing, internal enablement, and, and internal promotion of change, that management of change thing we talked about before. That is a team. There's a whole bunch of folks you want to bring or at least have conversations with. And they might not be individual people. They just have the, the smaller number of people who fill multiple roles. But all of those things can be relevant to you and your project. But Roland, those are people. Yeah. Tell me about even though it might. So one thing that I that I see is is um, put things to paper. Right. Doesn't matter if you do that in your Jira or if you do that in Word or if you do this wherever on an actual piece of paper. But go and uh, bring your strategy to paper. Why do we do this? Yeah. Right. Um, it's the, the the Jerry McMeyer manifesto. Right. So this needs to change and this is why and all that stuff. So what are the objectives, the outcomes, the definition of those, the, the visibility tools that you have to build, the dashboards? How do you maybe most importantly empower the transformation team? Because uh, you, you might have organizations or org units that don't want to change. Right. So they need to have a mandate to do this. Right. I think that strategy document is the key thing. And mm -hmm. if you don't have this written down, you have a hard time. Then you you go and you create your architectural artifacts, right? Um, without special sequence, you know, as is architectures that are TOGAF aligned, process, risks, org, apps, data, whatever, all these type of things, right? And you do that maybe on a higher level for your as is, but you definitely should have this, right? So that you see where your baseline is, pun intended. Um, and then you do your to-be architecture, right? How do we change? Bring that into stuff. And based on that, you then can derive the, those little helper tools that you need for your rollout. Yeah. Think about it, you know? Job aids, new SOPs, right? Created by press of a button, 
right? No extra word document because you, you feed it from your process model. Sure. Or you create matrices, yeah. you know, roles to competencies as an input for your enablement. Or you develop and, and, and nobody will see that <laughs> disaster recovery and business continuity plans, you know. Oh, but yeah. You, you need them. You know, your risk folks will be happy to see this, right? So you create your artifacts, right? Yes. This is actually something that, that architects are very familiar with. Just put it in the context. And then, obviously, you do your, your actual system development. That comes with documentation, right? That comes with an output, a running system, right? Your, your automation things. And then all the other stuff that we just spoke about. Training plans, enablement material, feedback, communications, marketing materials, all, all these things. What is, I think, very, very interesting as a leave behind is... Uh, those project readouts, right? Presentations out of the project outcomes. You know, uh, if you could see it, JM wrote fancy graphics in parentheses <laughs> after that. But I think it's it's the communication after the project. Yeah. Because you want to be able to celebrate, hey, we made this place a little bit better. We perform better by doing that transformation. And this is the input for the next iteration. Yeah. Are right. you telling me that, that executives don't want fancy graphics in their readout presentations? Because I would disagree. <laughs> I think you need to have more than fancy graphics. I know, I know. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, think about systems, right? Uh, in the systemic sense, you might want to have your monitoring being nailed down. Right? Yeah. I've seen too many transformations who thought they're done with the implementation. And that's the BI group's uh, task to figure out what was implemented and how they measure. No, it's part of your transformation. And then last but not least, uh, also something that you might want to do, and I, I tell my consultants, on every project that you do, have one takeaway. One thing you learned, one little helper, one little thing that, that will make you better. And the takeaway here is, think about how you run the show. Right? Yeah. Think about how you um, define your governance. That sounds so important, right? But think about how that meta process of running through the transformation process, how you want this to be done, how you want to measure that meta process. Are we doing a good job, right? How did QA work? How did the process modeling work? All these type of things. That is something that you might want to have as a takeaway. It has a tangentially to do with the outcome, but it makes you as an organization better going forward. That's wonderful. Well, we want to make everyone as an organization have, feel better going forward. And I hopefully, hopefully everyone's gotten a really good idea over the course of the past little while, how one might do that through transformation projects that are focused in on BPM and EA, something that we love very dearly. So to close this out for the, for the, the show today, we've talked to you about the transformation lifecycle, um, what you might see from a normal project perspective how the process management or BPM or EA lifecycle aligns in with a transformation lifecycle, and then some key considerations along the way as you go through your transformation, including your team and including the deliverables that you're going to be able to produce through this exercise. Yeah, JM, this is typically the, the part of the show where I ask our guests how we can reach them and which <laughs> wares they have to, to sell, you know. Um, on this, I'd like to do another pitch here. Please. The pitch that I have is if you make it 
until this point in the show and you liked what you heard, go and tell five of your friends about the show. We would really, really deeply appreciate it. You know, forget the nonsense about algorithms and ratings on Apple Podcasts and, and anywhere. Do that if you want to. It's also appreciated. But I would appreciate if you tell your five best friends about this show and get in contact with us so that we can get better. Absolutely. And talking about that, you can go and find us on LinkedIn. Uh, What's Your Baseline is on LinkedIn. I'm, you might be listening to us from a, a link on LinkedIn, which is great. Or you can visit the website at whatsyourbaseline.com or specifically for this episode, including show notes and some of the sources that we used for our conversation today at whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode 61. But until our next time together, friends, I've been J.M. Erlinson. And I've been Roland Volt. And we will see you in the next one.